Episode 23, Patrick and Cyprian speak with Steve Reinhardt of Quantum Computing, Inc. The team discuss multidimensional graphs, optimization problems, and the strategy of exposing concepts in quantum computing to traditional users in familiar terms. Welcome to Entangled Things, your quantum computing podcast, hosted by Patrick and Cyprian. Hey, Cyprian, how you doing? Hi, Patrick. Very well, and looking forward for another great episode of Entangled Things. Uh, I don't think you're going to be disappointed. We're joined by Steve Reinhardt. Steve, can you introduce our, yourself for us, please? Sure. Uh, I sometimes describe myself as a recovering OS developer. Um, ah. I, I joined Cray Research a million years ago to uh, work on operating systems, uh, specifically in support of parallel computing and you know and then other software uh for parallel computing um and in about 2003 some some contacts in the government got me interested in graph analysis wow. so i um worked on a large scale graph analysis was something we did well the sgi altic system did well so we spent a lot of time on that and then um i joined a little startup to build a um a graph cap- or a cluster capable matlab uh focused on graph you know, kind of easy graph analysis. And then uh, that led me to D-Wave in 2015. Um, and because there's a lot of graphs oh, yeah. in using quantum computers. And then I uh, joined QCI just over two years ago, Quantum Computing Inc. Um, and I lead our product development efforts here. You've been every place I want to be. So, <laughs> um, so, so the first question that I'm going to ask for on behalf of some of the people who may not be as familiar with the problem space is when you say graph, you, what's the context of that? Because most people think back to algebra and, and, uh, either have fond night, fond, fond memories or a hard nightmare. So what, when you say graph, what are you talking about? Right. So, uh, a, a collection of vertices and edges. So if you think about a like a stylized map, you know, you have Chicago and Kansas City and St. Louis and Cleveland. Those could be the vertices or the nodes in the in the uh, in the graph, and then the edges are the highways that connect them. For instance, and, and so that's a very simple example. But in my in my correct understanding, there could also be many higher dimensions. It's not just two, three dimensional. Exactly. Yeah. In in general, there's no reason to limit it to a plane or a, a, a surface. So and that's where it in, gets and, and that's the a lot of the power of graphs comes from that potentially high dimensionality. Okay. So um, graphs and optimization sounds like D wave is really where the, the, the work is right now because of it. Um, am I correct in understanding that that's where your work is focusing or, or is, are there some aspects that are going to have to wait until um, general gate quantum computing catch up, catches up? So, uh, so what we have, what we are doing here at Quantum Computing is one of our core principles, core um, parts of our strategy is to make to to expose quantum computers to potential users in terms that they already know about. So, when it comes to graphs, that means. We so we talk a lot about SMEs, subject matter experts. So we want to connect with a subject matter expert who is, for, for instance, in cybersecurity. 
And so they're already thinking about graphs. Uh, you know, you have a, a the, the nodes are potentially IP addresses, and the uh, the edges are um, you know packets or flows or or connections or endpoints or, or like tack, that. Yeah, tack metric matrices or whatever. Right. Yeah. And so um, we, we, we're ad, we're addressing people who are already thinking in terms of graphs for the most part. Uh, the, there's some exceptions to that. And um, and we take the approach that, you know, let me talk about a, a, a particular thing. So community detection is a one of our graph kernels. Uh, and that is something that people can actually understand even if they don't have much graph background. Uh, some of the other ones are easier to grok if you do have more ba- uh, map, uh, graph background. But um, so so we 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 approach the SME at the level of um, give us your graph, tell us what function you want to run on it, and we'll give you answers back. So in the case of community detection, the ant you give us the uh, defining graph, attributes, yeah, and, and, right, exactly, and and then you you get back community assignments, you know, saying, you know, vertices one, two, seventeen, and eighty four are in community one. Three, nine, twenty-seven, whatever are in community two, et cetera, et cetera. So, so this is meeting the SME where the SME already is. So these are concepts they're already working with. So um, at the risk, at the risk of never speaking again on this podcast on this episode, I'm going to ask Cyprian how this relates to AI because that's your thing, and I think the two of you are going to take off on me. This is a AI problem, isn't it? Yeah, it it can be modeled or to be more accurate, some of the underlying machine learning uh, uh, problems eventually can be uh, traced back to to optimization problems. Uh, So you're you're not very far, Patrick, as (laughs) I always write on the spot. Uh, But I I just really like this this concept of I would almost define it as graph kind of operation or graph computation as a service, right? But it, it seems to be that you folks are doing much more than that, right? Because you are actually taking these types of operations and then you are uh, translating them into the particular kind of fields of interest of the SMEs, right? So, so yeah. So, so I'll stick with community detection for a minute, just for yeah. a, a smidgen of continuity. Um, so. So, yes. So, so one of the things we do is we want to kind of shield the user from the details of the quantum computer. So you call community detection, you create a graph, you call community detection. And, and you can say, I, I just want to run on the default thing. Well, today, the fastest way to solve these is using our uh, state-of-the-art classical sampler. It, it actually runs faster than all our other samplers. Um, and in the future, you know, in the fairly near future, we expect that a hybrid sampler that has our strong classical sampler, you know, married with uh, a quantum processor will will start to be better. And, and of course, you know, in whatever it is, 10, 15 years, it, it, if you're not using a, a quantum processor, we believe in com- in in companion with a classical processor. You'll you'll just be behind. You, you'll be getting poorer results compared to everybody else. 
so so we we take that approach um you as the caller you, you don't you don't have to worry very much about exactly what you're running on um and so so it is it, like you said it, it it is graph computation as a service um and we 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 have worked um we've done some work in healthcare with this uh, I, I we have a couple things uh, we're working on with in the cyber domain. Um, I, I did some work when I was at D-Wave on using one of the other graph kernels, uh, maximum independent set uh, for for cyber to, to detect uh, lateral movement in a cyber context. So um, yeah, so so we are focused on graph computation. The, the things that we do are are the uh, the kernels that uh, their computational cost grows exponentially with the size of the graph. And so today solving even kind of normally sized ones exactly is, is uh, infeasible. Uh, so we have to use heuristics and approximation methods, et cetera. But we're already seeing that, you know, building techniques that are what we call quantum ready or quantum inspired even when running classically, often give better results than the traditional classical methods. I've heard that and, very often. Yeah, and we're just getting to the point of, uh, I mean, we are running hybrid things internally, and we're not that far away from set at the point where we'll say, oh, well, actually, this hybrid thing is, you know, the, the QPU is now delivering some benefit. Um, does, doesn't have to do it every day. doesn't have to do it every time you run it, but it's going to start doing that before long. Um, so I was, yeah. I was looking at some of the the, the results of of of, of uh, uh, that you're uh, mentioning at, at quantum computing, and uh, the one that caught my attention was that you're able to sample near optimal results for graphs that kind of are up to tens of thousands of vertices, and uh, that's I have to 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 have to admit it's really really impressive, right? And you mentioned also hybrid, uh, and one of the kind of questions that we, we we get and one of the things that the people are having a pretty hard time to kind of grasp is what does it take to to map or let's use the more correct term embed a problem right from uh, into a, a a quantum processor a problem like a, a, a graph a graph problem right but what would you say are the most important challenges? Uh, maybe without getting into the very, very technical details of it, because uh, this can be very technical, right? But right, for our right. audience, just to explain a little bit of hey, how do you cross this chasm between the, let's say, classical formulation of a problem and definition and things and, and, and move it into a, a specific type of quantum processor like quantum annealer or whatever? And to, to put some clarity on <clears throat> what this is a reoccurring theme with Cyprian and I, because it comes up often is you can't read data into a quantum computer. You can't read a file to get your initial state. And so right. we're interested in where we are and how, how that might hint at what the future would bring forward, like the ability to read a file kind of thing. Right. Um, so a couple answers come to mind. One is um, we are, so, so we are focused on constrained optimization, yeah. and and so um, nicely or narrowly, depending on your point of view, um, that means we we take 
classical inputs and provide classical outputs. So, I mean, all of these graph problems we're talking about are, and and all the constrained optimization stuff we do underneath that, they're all classical inputs and classical outputs. So, um, we use, you know, when we run on a QPU, we use and exploit quantum uh, effects in in the in the calculation of you know, in the in the execution of the quantum processor, but the inputs and the outputs are classical. Um, so that's uh, it, for the most part, that's a good thing in that you, we're not saddled with teaching the world about quantum mechanics, you know, to say, oh, we, you run this graph problem, <laughs> but the first thing you have to do is take a course in quantum mechanics. I mean, it, <laughs> you know, it's not a bad thing. Quantum mechanics is fun, but set these um, 10,000 qubits. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. P- putting that barrier in front of every potential user just doesn't seem like a path to happiness. So, um, so it, it is nice that you, you, you st- I mean, we can solve real world problems and, and, uh, you know, today, almost all real world problems are, um, are classical. Mm. Um, with, a, so, with the, with a smidge of uh, potential optimization for the hard parts. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it yeah. sounds like your approach is similar to Shor's algorithm. Shor's algorithm doesn't actually solve the problem. It makes it easier for a classical computer to break it, puts it into a, a space that is breakable in minutes instead of years, or decades. It sounds like you're taking the same approach. You're, you're using a classical computing approach. And then when you find the thing that a classical computer would take forever to do, you're pitching that over to the quantum in a way that's transparent to the user. Yeah. And and, and the there there are, there are a bunch of dimensions there where we need to get better. I mean, uh, uh, Cyprian, you asked about how do we how do we formulate to, to use kind of a high level word. How do we formulate the problem to run on a QPU? Um, and and the we focus primarily on the constrained optimization level. So, sorry, let me let me pop up a half a level. So. If you call community detection or graph partitioning, or um, I already mentioned maximum independent set, um, that is a graph problem. And so, the, the, the if, if you're speaking to a SME and and they have handed you a uh, a graph problem, they're thinking in terms of the graph. Yeah. If yeah, for, yeah. for us for us CS types, if you squint at I'll, I'll stick with community detection for a second. If you, if you squint at community detection, you'll say, oh, well, that, that's just a constrained optimization problem. All, all the vertices have to be assigned to exactly one community, and we want the assignment that minimizes the objective function. So constraints in an objective function. And so that's, you know, if we pop down a layer, Lots of people in lots of industries, lots of SMEs who are already thinking in terms of constraints and objective functions. Um, now, in in the quantum world, there 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 are a number of people who have become familiar with Cubo's quadratic unconstrained binary optimization problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, so, in the quantum world, those are fairly familiar things. But in the broader world, I think they're still essentially unknown. And so, uh, you know, our, our, our thinking has been, let's keep the focus on the constrained optimization problem. Under the hood, you know, our, our product says, oh, this is a constrained optimization problem. 
there are a bunch of things we can do. We can shrink the problem. We can realize that some variables are redundant with each other. Uh, we can realize that there's part of the problem that's hard, part of it's the, that's easy, from the easy part classically, the hard part quantumly. There are all kinds of things you can do inside there. Um, and then eventually, uh, you know, it, it, in our product today, we, we derive a Kubo and we go solve it as a Kubo. And so that is a difference. So, so A, representation as a Kubo is, you know, before five years ago, there were very few people on the planet that were thinking about solving problems, optimization problems via Kubos. Not zero, but very few. Yeah. Um, and PhD dissertations. Yeah. And um, so we, we, we kind of loosen that. Um, but that, that's a way where, um, and then that Kubo, we can solve classically. We can solve, obviously, as, as you mentioned, it's, it's, a, it's a direct mapping from the Kubo to the D-Wave processor. Um, and via QAOA and VQE, it's straightforward to solve the Kubo on a gate model processor. So, and we can do all of those things today. Um, so if you, if you come in, I mean, th there are a couple caveats. You have, if you're going to run it on the QPU, it has to be a smallish problem. Uh, but if you have a problem that fits on the on the QPU, you can just say, you can say today, here's a small graph problem. Run it on the QPU, and and it will do that. So it does all that conversion, you know, start with a constraint, objective function, create a Cubo, figure out, you know, for instance, you know, we run on IonQ in the uh, bracket, uh, AWS bracket today, and. Um, it does all that conversion to run on IonQ, sends it to the QPU, you get answers back, takes it back up the stack, and the, the answer you get is still a community assignment. Because as a SME, that's what you want. You said, find me communities, and I get back community assignments. But there's a bunch of you know, conversions under the hood that are happening so you can get to a, a quantum processor, get answers back, you know, translate those back to, to SME land. So you've taken many of the highly technical but repetitive steps and automated them. So yes. it sounds like you guys are ready for for the future. Unlike most companies, it, companies <laughs> are either they're waiting for the future or they're not ready for the future. You guys are one of the first I've ever heard of that's you've got a plan for the entire span from infancy to maturity for quantum. And I think that's awesome. And I, yeah. I'd like to throw in here uh, another question, maybe on a slightly different note, but. Uh, it's, it's something that I, I'm starting to see. But would you agree that there are lots of folks out there who do not realize yet that their problem is a constrained optimization problem, actually? Um, uh, I, uh, I, I, I bet there are. I mean, I, I, I so... Um, and, and maybe, I mean, maybe the zero thing I should say is you know, I, I, there's the old, uh, is the old metaphor of the philosophers coming up to the elephant and one grabs a leg, one grabs a tusk, one grabs a trunk and they all give different pictures. I, I, I think there's a little bit of that in the quantum world that, um, you know, I mean, there's some super experts that this is not applied to, but for most of us, we've come from the classical computing world via some path and we knew stuff in the classical computing world and we're kind of we're adding the quantum stuff to that, and we're reasoning by analogy, and you know, all, all kinds of things. So, 
I, I, I don't make any pretensions that I understand the full breadth of uh, what's going on in, 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 in the quantum computing market. But I, I, I think... I, I think I think there is some lack of understanding, for instance, for graph problems that, oh, those are just constrained optimization. And, and actually, Cyprian, you said this 10 minutes ago, um, there, a lot of machine learning is constrained optimization. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, so, yeah, I mean, we, we as as we have been talking with potential customers and, uh, you know, uh, people in the industry and hardware vendors and everything, whenever we say, I mean, a, as an engineer, you know, I sometimes say, oh, okay, well, realize we're just focused on constrained optimization and there's all these other things we can't do or, or pitiful us. Um, and almost whenever we say that to an external party, they say, oh, well, yeah, but optimization is the biggest one, the, the biggest near-term market for, for quantum computing. So, you know, I, I think I think there is some um, some not understanding that. Yeah, and and, and actually, to take that a step further, I, you know, if we pop way back or pop way up, the uh, the history of computing, there's a lot to a, a new type of processing comes out, and it does a handful of things really well, and. People who are thinking hard about a particular type of problem look at that processor and say, so how could I, you know, repose my problem so that it could get advantage from that thing? <laughs> uh, and it, I mean, people have done that with GPUs. People did that with vector processors, you know, yeah. decades ago. We've spent um, decades playing games until we realized GPUs are awesome for deep learning. <laughs> yeah, 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 and yeah. I mean, there was there was a a, a case I ran across. Um, well, this is three or four years ago now, and there were some people uh, at the University of Texas who were um, who were simulating uh, the phase transitions inside oil wells. So, uh, as I understand it, not an expert in this stuff, but uh, if you if you think about like the uh, the Deepwater Horizon explosion in in the Gulf of Mexico, whatever that was, ten fifteen years ago, yeah. um, the um, the issue was that uh, a bunch of methane collected and it it changed state. Did it go from from solid to gas or vice versa? I I don't know, but it did. And it went in the bad direction, and then a spark exploded it, um, and with you know horrible consequences. And so these people were saying, "Well, how do how do we simulate this better?" And they wound up posing it as as a cubo, as a, as a phase transition cubo problem. And my guess is, you know, before. A, a, a year before the time that they talked to us, they had never thought about cubos. They had never thought about it as an optimization problem. They they had been going, you know, this this is solving PDEs. How do we do this effectively? And the the, the issue there was that um, it, 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 it it's a localized effect. So you you can't you, if you solve the whole grid finely enough to see this effect, the the, the classical computation the PDE solver takes forever. Yeah. And so you can't do that. So you have to do something new to find this kind of local effect. 
And so smart people looking at their problems, looking at new types of computing said, oh, you know, that does look like a constrained optimization problem. And they expressed it that way. And my understanding is they got some fairly good results. I think think that's going to happen. I think we're going to see the next five years, half decade, maybe, where almost everyone who pays attention to this or starts paying attention to quantum is going to be asking the question, how is this going to disrupt my part of the world, my industry? And a lot of times in, in some places we don't know yet. Um, you guys, um, you know, list some industries like chemistry that is clearly an area a security. My area is clearly going to be impacted, but pretty much everything like insurance and uh, banking and, and finance, they're all going to be impacted uh, because this is going to be so far reaching. We've all had products that we've built because, you know, you've built supercomputers. I've built software programs. So, so Cyprian, where customers use it in ways we never imagined. We never fathomed, you know, it's like when you buy the kid, the great toy and they use the box (laughs) instead. Um, so, so I think that, that the optimization is a gateway drug to getting into quantum and figuring out how it's going to change the landscape of every industry. So could you talk a little bit about the, um, the, the, I think, Chemistry is a big part of and chemi- uh, design of new chemicals and new materials. Is that something that is is a primary um, use case for you guys, or just one of? Is it a leading use case? How, what would you say about that? Right. Um, so the, there are a couple of cases of that that we've uh, we've worked with some early customers on. Um, protein design is, um, I mean, is as far as I can tell, again, not a protein expert, but the, the, the experts that we have talked with uh, are keen on, on, the, on the approach, on using a constrained optimization approach. And, you know, it, it, so there, there was an interesting um, mapping decision, discretization maybe is a better word. Um, so, you know, if, if the protein folding problem has been you know, has been one of the uh, computing grand challenges out there for, geez, 20, 30 years. Um, and, you know, people who come at it from a, a, a PDE point of view, they, they think, oh, well, you know, the angle is a floating point number and you got to figure out what the best angle is and where is it going to wind up. Um, and, and that is one approach. And what, what the people that we have talked with about protein design have said, well, you can think of it that way. You can also think of it as a discrete problem, where in in this particular molecule, there are really only six angles that this bond ever takes. And so, <laughs> don't worry about all those other all those other potential ones. Just pick one of the six, and and that actually, you know, may, maybe you have to come back and do some classical or some PDE based confirmation of of the uh, folding, but. Um, you know, you, you just don't, you do it a different way. And um, so, so that, that is one where um, th- there are some people already getting positive results um, using a quantum ready approach. Um, so, so that, that's one that we're pretty keen on. Um, uh, there's another one that is that I, I, I don't understand completely, but um uh, Alex Teplukin from uh, Los Alamos uh, published a paper in February of this year 
um, about, so they have a package there called the QAE, Quantum Annealing Eigen Solver, I think that stands mm -hmm. for. Um, and he's using it for chemistry stuff that I don't remember. Okay. Um, and it was, you know, it was important to get, um, so he is casting his problem as a Cubo. So, you know, they're, they are early adopters of, of a D-Wave system there at Los Alamos. They've had a, at least two generations, I think. And um, yep. so they have a cadre of people that are uh, quantum annealing slash Cubo proficient. Um, and so th they're using it and they're getting very good answers. Uh, and so they're looking at, you know, they're doing a variety of, uh, of chemical, quantum chemical research. And they're looking at how that, how that, you know, furthers that research. They just uh, recently made a monopole discovery that uh, they talked to us about. We had somebody, um, Andrew King from D-Wave and uh, Los Alamos National Laboratory got back to us and uh, talked to us about a discovery they made. So they're doing fundamental science on the D-Wave system as well, which I, was very surprising to us. They, they called it in a very interesting way. They called the whole initiative about programmable materials, which I uh, I find it fascinating. <laughs> I think that's in the new Star Trek Discovery. I think they talk about programmable matter. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that that um, the work that Andrew uh, Andrew King and and uh, I think he's been the leader there at D Wave on that on that work. But um, you know, th there were a couple. Th there have been three or four papers, actually, several papers over the last three or four years. Maybe I would say. Um, about you know like the costrolithes and the, the vortices in in uh, in, in uh, materials and that that is that is fantastic work in my view that, that is I mean it, it's probably the kind of thing that um, you know you, you have to have a room full, full of PhDs who who know all the details to, to approach problems in that way um, and if if you have that luxury then then there are I think there are some remarkable things that are being done. But um, and you think you need one person with a high school diploma that said, "What if we did this? <laughs> Something impossible?" <laughs> and then they're like, "Maybe it's not so impossible." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So i I'd like to 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 ask a let's say quite different question than the the flow of discussion so far. You've you've been clearly a person with with huge experience in in classical computing, right? And you've uh, made the 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 big step towards quantum computing. What would you say was or is um, or are some of the most difficult challenges for our, this kind of transition for, for uh, diving into quantum computing coming from like the world of, of, of classical computing? I can imagine uh, young people like two decades from now who uh, have kind of completely grown up in a, in a world where quantum computing is a thing having a completely different set of challenges or no challenges whatsoever, right? But for us who are like initially rooted in classical computing, right? I, I get this question a lot from folks that I, I, I talk about. Like they, they find it challenging to, to, to move into quantum. So I'd really like uh, uh, if, if, if you would like to, to, to share a little bit of this, this experience, this transition, because I, I always find it fascinating. Yeah, so uh, it, 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 it's a great question. I mean, and um, I mean, and and as an industry, uh, we, we can't say, oh, well, we're only going to accept people who have, um, you know, 
who have degrees or advanced degrees in quantum physics because th that would just drastically retard progress. So so we just can't do that. So how do how do you know mid-career people get up to speed in this? And I I think I think there were a variety of answers to that. Um, uh, you know, understanding the gate model and and the rotations and and how to do something concrete with that model is is a significant step, and I think I think that's valuable. I I, I don't understand how to do that. I mean, we have people on the, our team who do, but I don't understand how to do that in detail. Um, and I, I think I think that is that 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 is a a great skill to have. I don't think everybody has to have that skill. Um, mm -hmm. uh, another, uh, I mean, a, another reality is that we're going to, for the foreseeable future, quantum computers will be used in hybrid mode with classical computers. So, no, knowing the ideal quantum algorithm is is interesting is is worth knowing um but for the next 10 or 15 or maybe 20 years it may be just as important or more important to know what's the best hybrid algorithm and the strengths of the quantum and classical processors are very different and you know so if we it, it's like you know in in your garage you have um you know a big four by four pickup and you have a Prius or, or a, or, or a Tesla. Well, th those are useful for their very different things. And if you say, Oh, well, we think the Tesla is great and we're going to use it for everything. Okay. You can do that. But when you go to the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the garden center to get some dirt for your garden, <laughs> that's not a great use of the Tesla. Um, <laughs> I mean, you could do it. You can get it done that way, but you know your your life is probably better off if you say, uh, you know, I'm taking the pickup for that. Um, and so, I mean, these are very different things. I mean, something that you know I've I've heard multiple people say is in, in the optimization world is that the the classical processor will be very good at kind of finding the uh, at 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 doing global optimization and the the QPU will be very good at, because almost all problems are going to be bigger than QPUs for the foreseeable future. The, the, the QPU is very good at for finding the, a, a very, very good answer for a subproblem. And so you, you, you find a subproblem, you solve it extremely well, and you do that n times, and then you combine the, the, those sub-results into a, a full result. And then, you know, there's lots of algorithms that kind of, that, that's kind of what they do. And then they iterate on that. Um, so I, I, to me, the, the, the algorithms we need to, that will be highest value for the next decade will be hybrid algorithms like this that say, oh, here's, here's a QPU. It, it does all these weird things that, you know, we all scratch our head about. Um, and here's a way to use that. I mean, we, we already see, I mean, there's, there's good evidence. Uh, from D-Wave that it gives very good diversity of answers. Um, so 
and that that's something we are seeing from our customers. Actually, our classical sampler has the same attribute, and so that's kind of a a, a foreshadowing of what QPUs will do. And to, to go back to the protein design example, the the computational part of protein design is like step two in a fifteen step process, and what what the SMEs want is a bunch of different options at the computational step because th- they they don't know what the what the best answers are they don't know what these molecules are going to do and so they have a whole bunch of process you know later steps in their process that they want to run through and and you know eventually they fabricate them and 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 you know try them in a wet lab uh, but if they had a magic wand they'd like to start with a thousand or ten thousand candidates at the computational yep. level and then they would winnow those down to maybe you know is it a hundred or a thousand that they would build um in the lab uh but and and that's a that that, that is ideal for uh upus and so making a hybrid sampler that 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 preserves that diversity of solutions all the way back to the the SME looks like a high value thing and classical samplers haven't haven't really focused on that. I mean, I, they can do it in, at times, but they haven't really focused on that because um, it wasn't, it just wasn't, I, I think partly it wasn't called out as a high value thing, but also it it was re- really computationally expensive. And so to get a good answer, you know, you're just on the ragged edge of how long you want to wait wasn't uh, with, with a cl- classical sampler. And if you can say, oh, I don't actually just want one, I want 10. Well, are you going to wait ten times as long? I mean, that you know, that, there's a practicality angle on that. That um, all, all the compute power we're able to apply now is starting to soften that. So, awesome. So I hate to say it, but we're running low on time. I think the, the at least Cyprian and I could talk to you for a long time if uh, <laughs> if it was allowed. But definitely, um, hope you had a great time. We learned a lot, and uh, we hope you join us again sometime. Yes, well, thank you very much for uh, for having me. I appreciate your time. Uh, I hope it was useful. I'm sure it was. It, it was an absolute delight. Thank you so much for being with us. See everybody next time. Thank you.